any like huge thing you're contemplating, just sort of like slowly, you know, open your heart to the idea and get more information and sit with it. Welcome to the SLP Cohort Catch-Up. I'm your host, Erin White. In today's episode, I'm catching up with Beth in Colorado, USA. You'll hear about the process she underwent to transfer her Australian Masters back to the US, her jobs in home health, schools, hospitals, and private clinics, and you'll hear about Beth's latest role, Mother to Gorgeous Arvi. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Cohort Catch-Up all the way from the USA, Beth. Hi. Hi. Thanks for joining me. Yes, I am happy to be here. (laughs) I'm so happy to see you. (laughs) I'm already laughing. I know this is going to be a great chat. Oh, I hope so. Yeah. I'll do my best. (laughs) All right. I'm going to warm you up. All right. I'll give you some quick fire questions to warm you up. First of all, where do you live? I live in Pueblo, Colorado, in the United States of America. <laughs> Can you situate the listeners' whereabouts in America that is, if they were looking at a yeah. map? So it's, uh, yes, it's like the Western United States. Um, so, but you know, the U.S. is pretty big. So, um, you know, it's like if you start in the East, it's probably three-fourths the way in. Okay. <laughs> we're probably coming from the West in our direction. When we, so we would land <laughs> in Los true. Angeles okay. from, from Melbourne. Okay. We'll go a fourth of the way into the country and you'll find me. <laughs> okay. We'll just, we'll dig our way through and we'll see if we can find you. <laughs> okay. Now, coffee in America is terrible. That's my opinion. But what's your go-to um, coffee order? So I would, I get an Americano, which I believe you would just call a coffee. Is that uh, right? Long black. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. What did you drink when you are in Melbourne? You know, that seems so far away. It makes me sad. But yes, probably long blacks. Did you notice a difference in the coffee? You know, a sick part of me was just delighted to get back to my drip. You know, I know it's gross. I know it's vile, but part of me got to get that drip. Got to get that drip. I know it's nasty, but it's my nasty and I, and I need it. Yeah. You're proud of it. But I, I appreciate, of course, I like appreciate the profound difference in sophistication, quality, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. When I lived in New York, I detested the milky coffees. In Australia, I drink a latte, but in the US, I would just get drip because I thought if I'm going to be paying for shitty coffee, I want to pay as little as possible. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then you can do like a poor man's latte, obviously just add milk to that piece of crap they hand you. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Now, this next question might not apply to you. It's probably more for the Australian citizens, but do you have a hex debt as in like student loan debt from your master's? Oh, girl, do I? I do. I have a lot of debt. Mm -hmm. Do you want a number? Well, you you can give a number if you want. Uh, So I had, this hurts to, well, I'm just going to, I'm just going to out myself. Let's be vulnerable. Oh, then I'll out Uh, myself. Okay. All right. So at one point, I had $125,000 in student loan debt. Yep. U.S. dollars. U.S. dollars. Which would be a lot more in Aussie dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, that like was terrible. (laughs) Uh, And I was making very poor money working for the public school system. But I, so I just decided to deal with it. And now I have $85,000 of student loan debt. Well, you're working it down. Yeah. It's, it, it, that is a very sad, I have to be honest, like the debt sometimes makes me resent this career. Mm. 
you know, which is really unfortunate, but it's not like I get to do speech therapy. It's like do speech therapy or you die. (laughs) (laughs) Can you put that on a (laughs) t-shirt? Um, so the debt's really been, a, a, and you know, I did choose to go to Australia and I don't know what the difference would have been here. Like I do have friends here who have, who are speech therapists who have tons of debt and many who have no debt. So, you know, I think it's a whole gambit, I'd, but I am very grateful for my time in Australia and I think it's where it was worth it. Yeah. So is that all from the master's in Australia? That was for, not from any other study before? Good question. I had about, I think, 18,000 from my undergrad here. So it wasn't all, but the vast majority was from Australia. Yeah, from the master's program. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to out myself, but it's not as much as yours. I did a five-year undergrad and then now two-year master's. And I think the highest mine ever got was in the 80s, 80,000 okay. range Australian. And now yeah. I'm down to, I think I'm down to 39,000 now. Oh, man. This is 10 years post-graduation from the Masters. Yeah, that's sad. But, I mean, on we go. Like, what's On we the go. Ultimate? <laughs> yeah. I yeah. think the difference, though, between American debt and Australian debt is they say that hex debt is the good kind of debt to have because, like, you don't really have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. I made some voluntary contributions to it and my accountant was like, don't even bother. Just, like, wait till tax time. It's not worth putting extra money into. Right. It'll just sit there forever and chip away slowly. And um, yeah, it's not the same here, but my interest rate is very low on it. It's not like it's swallowing. Like it is uh, a big chunk of my income goes to it, but um, it is also good debt, which I I don't, I don't. Yeah, it's oxymoron. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I I don't, it doesn't make me feel good, but it's it's not as bad as it could be. Well, the next question I think is going to be maybe a, a better one for you. Do you own or rent where you live? I do own my house. I bought my house in 2019. I moved. So I lived in Denver, which I imagine people have heard of, maybe, um, which is a, a, the city, the capital of Colorado. And it's really expensive to live there. I never could have bought a house there. I mean, I can't imagine how I would have done it anyway. Um, so I moved to a smaller town two hours south of Denver, uh, coming up on four years ago now, because I... Um, I just kind of wanted to move forward with my life and I felt like owning a home was a big part of that and I just wanted a big change. So um, I'm really, I mean, owning a house has, I love it. (laughs) It's so fun. So um, yeah, I I do own. That's great. Mm -hmm. What is your favorite holiday destination? Oh, hmm. I I feel like I haven't been on one in a while, but I, you know, just to like purely relax. Did you go to Mexico? You did go to Mexico. I've never been to a beach in Mexico though. I've just done the cities, which I would never have thought I would ever go to. And I loved Mexico City is one of my favorite in the world. I haven't been to Mexico City, but I'd love to go. So like Cabo and Mexico, it's just a beach and it's just, that's where you go if you just want to relax. And that sounds great right now. (laughs) Sounds really great right now. Yeah, that would be a spot I would want to revisit. Nice. And Mm -hmm. do you have an AFL team, an Australian football team? I'm going to say cats because I want to suck up to the host. Yeah, great. Correct answer. (laughs) Ding, ding. (laughs) I'm impressed you remembered that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you made it quite unforgettable. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So now we're going to switch into the more speech pathology kind of questions. What are you doing for work right now? So I work part-time at a hospital and part-time at an outpatient pediatric clinic. So I, what I, okay, first of all, I feel like I am an acute care therapist. That is what I really like. Uh, 
that's just my preferred setting. And I was, I was, I was working full time for this hospital. I'm the only speech therapist there. And it, this is rural health. So like, (laughs) uh, we're just very short on resources there. We don't have many service lines at the hospital as in, as in like, we don't have neuro as an option. So like, I don't have any stroke patients. I don't do any cognitive evals. So I just, to, to get me up to full time, they made me the manager of the therapy department. Again, I'm the only speech therapist. That means I'm managing the PTs and the OTs, which went well for a while. Uh, it went okay for a while. And then I just, I felt like that was really not for me. And I like, that, that was really challenging, you know, because they're also like, it's a, basically they're like, um, just doing like hip replacements, knee replacements. It's like same day, cert, like a whole different language. How do you manage that? Right. I didn't very well. I didn't very well. So I decided to step down from the management role, just be the speech therapist, which again, I like, <laughs> and um, just get a pediatric job on the side. So. And so what do you do in the pediatric role? It's just, uh, it's mostly like, there's a lot of autism, some Arctic, pretty much like I would think like the standard child gamut, you know? Do you like that mix of uh, adults and peds? Sometimes. <laughs> I feel like- I feel like working with pediatrics again is probably good for me just to like lighten up a little bit, you know, cause like the adult world can get kind of heavy. So I, I do think that mix is good. Yeah. Yeah. What does a typical day in the adult job look like for you? I usually do the days I'm there. I do two outpatient modified barium swallow studies, and then I see whatever inpatients are there. Um, which sometimes I have no patients and sometimes I have a couple. <laughs> what do you do when there are no patients? Um... <laughs> <laughs> Your boss is not listening. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, I, I try to make myself useful. Like, again, like I do kind of feel like I did accidentally learn a, <laughs> a lot about the OT and PT world. So I'll, like gather the walkers for them and cut the blue bands and like help them do prep work for their joint patients, basically. And, you know, I am kind of like up for whatever. So you need me to file this, I'll do it. (laughs) So I find myself doing like a lot of admin things too, honestly, which is totally fine with me. It's probably nice to give your brain a little bit of a break. Uh, Absolutely. Yes. Yes. So I had an interview recently at at a hospital about an hour away, but it's in the same network just to like, I want to keep my skills sharp. I don't want to be like this rural buffoon who you know someday some city dweller comes down and like what are you doing (laughs) you're in a corner juggling you're like I thought this was speech therapy (laughs) it's like the king's speech where I'm like putting marbles in my patient's mouth (laughs) like oh is this not what we do (laughs) um but okay in the interview they're telling me it's like the pace is like unrelenting it's just like the grind and it's like like uh, not right now like at this point in my life no I I don't want to do that that was good they were honest with you well I think that's most therapy jobs it's in america it seems like it is i don't know maybe mm. you guys don't have it like that but i'm like you know what i'm just gonna go in this room and shut the door and cut these blue bands for an hour <laughs> <laughs> i think you bring up a good point though that the work is emotionally draining boy the pace is it it doesn't feel sustainable mm. have you felt burnt out at times oh big time big time absolutely yeah mm. and that's why i'm kind of like i my setup right now does kind of like feel like a break. And also I finagle things. It's kind of, okay. It's a small town, but there's such a need for speech therapy that you can kind of like tell them how it's going to be. So I work my schedule. So I have Fridays off. I, I have three days against. 
Great. And then what about the pediatric job? What does a typical day look like there? That is a grind. I mean, it's just the conveyor belt of kids. So I work a 10 hour day on Wednesdays. And I, so that's like 18 or 19 kids, which is cuckoo. So of course you have cancellations in there and you have a lunch break, obviously, but like, that's just so, okay, I'm 41 years old. The other speech therapists in the office are in their twenties. Cause that's just like, this is a young person's game, you know? And I don't, okay, maybe we can talk about this too. Like where do old speech therapists go? Like, I, I never see them. I don't know where they, I'm serious. I know two in their 60s. And other than that, I don't know anyone who's, I'm always the oldest person at my job. And did they, have they been working clinically this whole time or were they like late to the profession or they stepped out and then came back? One is retired now. And then um, one is, one is still in it and she has been the whole time, but she's also like, very high strung, I would say, mm. <laughs> like a unique personality. And she, that makes it, she's not a weirdo. She's just like, she's built to be like a sheepdog, like work, 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 you know? And I'm not. <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm tired. Like I think part of. Okay. Thank you. Yes. 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 So like, I think we've hit the 10, well, we're over the 10 year mark now from graduation. Yeah. The first few years it was like, oh, great, we get to go put all this stuff we've been learning into practice. There was so much to learn. There's always so much to learn. But the first couple of years, right. I felt like there was a lot to learn. You know, and then I went away and had my great experience in New York. Again, learned so much, loved it, loved it, loved it. And then came back and, you know, had a role that was just too many different things. I was doing, I was wearing too many hats and realized I love the profession. I don't want to start disliking the profession because I'm unhappy in my job. Because ultimately, I still enjoy the clinical side of things. But mm-hmm. if you are feeling burnt out and overloaded in the job that you're in, you might lose that love of the profession. Then it's a burden. Then it's yeah. a burden. And I wanted to make a life that I want to live that, you know, I'd see fewer clients, but see them well and make space for other stuff that fills your bucket. Like this podcast is purely a passion project because it's something fun that is different, but it still feels like I'm doing something. Yes. Yeah. That's great. Well, I'm glad that you're doing this then. And, you know, I think that's a really good point too about like quality of patient care. Like, okay, so I have a 10 hour day on Wednesday. You think my 5:30 kid gets my best? He doesn't. And I mean, I, I do the best I can at that point in the day. I really do. But it's sometimes my best is crap. <laughs> <laughs> it's still probably better than you think it is, but it doesn't feel so. good. It's not, I, I, if he got my best, how much further along would he be? Yeah. And I can't like, you know, bear that, you know, responsibility and cause I, I'm, it is what it is, but. Is there a big desperate need? I mean, there probably is a desperate need for services in the U S because in Australia, like there are just not enough speech pathologists for the amount of people who need. I'm service. shocked to hear that considering what there were 120 people in our cohort. And there were no jobs when we graduated. Wow. So what changed there, if I may ask you first? You you may ask me. (laughs) Uh, I think a big part of it is the government funding that's become available. So there's something Mm. called the National Disability Insurance Scheme or NDIS. Scheme? Scheme. Does that sound dodgy? (laughs) It's a scheme. (laughs) Like Bernie Madoff's running this or something. (laughs) I'm sorry. Uh, I like such a dated reference. God, I'm like so I guess it's like. The, the association with that word in America is maybe more yeah, negative. Like, in Australia, it's like, it's a scheme. It's a program. Oh, okay. Okay. But they should have just called it a program. Anyway, 
cultural differences. Uh, yeah, there's a shit ton of money in that basically that is getting, which means that more people can access services. That is a good thing. Yeah. But there aren't enough clinicians for wow. the people that need the service. Wow. So like even in my new business I've started, like I'm saying no to every other person that reaches out. Wow. Part of that is like they, you know, maybe they're not in my experience, like they're the type of client they are doesn't match my experience. Or maybe it's just I don't want to work five days a week. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. I don't have the energy to take on a full time, full caseload if I don't have to. Right. Because then I can't give my best to the ones that I do see. Exactly. Yeah. Sometimes we feel like because people need the service, we have to do it. Right. Oh, I know. And that's, you know what, I think that has to do also with like, this is such a female dominated, prof- dominated profession. And it's so easy to prey on our kindness and our nurturing qualities like, oh, but the children need you. And like, okay, but I can't feel insane. <laughs> you know? <laughs> You do, and I, yeah, I, and all these jobs I go to where I see these like young women just, you know, working these 10 hour days. I'm like, okay, sweetie, this is going to stop mm-hmm. <laughs> when you realize like, it's not your job. You can't save all the children, you know? Mm. Do you feel like there's been a shift in your perspective on it since you've had your own child? Yeah. Uh, I don't know about that. I don't, I don't think so. I wonder if um, older speech pathologists move into non-clinical roles like management, owning a business, or maybe they go into academia. Right. Consulting. Yeah. I know. I don't know what the key is for me. I'm trying to, maybe all will be revealed through your probing questions. Yeah, we'll figure (laughs) it out. Well, okay. Let's go back to the beginning. What made you decide to study speech pathology? When I was 27, I went to Chile which I'm just going to say Chile because I, you know, <laughs> I'm an American who speaks English. But uh, okay, so I went there for seven months to teach English just as a little like, woo, I I don't know how to break up my, with my boyfriend, so I'm going to move to another country. That's one way to do uh, it. <laughs> and I just wanted, I had it in my heart to do that too. That's just an experience I wanted to have. And it was so, I'm so grateful I did that. That was just incredible. Um, but so I was working for this um, uh, ESL organization, right? And there was, uh, it was, we were all English teachers, except for this one woman, Sandra, 72 year old Sandra was a speech therapist. And she, I just saw her like setting her own hours, setting her own payment, um, just kind of doing a different thing that looked way more enjoyable (laughs) than just teaching English. It kind of looked to me in my mind at that point, it was like kind of the evolution uh, from teaching English. I'm like, Oh, okay, maybe I'll pursue that. And then I did. And I realized it's like nothing like, well, sometimes it can be with language kids, I guess. Anyway, it's, it's not really like teaching mm-hmm. English, but, um, that's, that's what like put it on my radar, I suppose, as a desirable lifestyle. <laughs> and then what made you decide to study in Australia compared to in the U S? Yeah. Um, I, so I was uh, living in Denver when I was um, applying for graduate programs and I had a friend. Okay. I was, this was my job. I was selling maintenance on routers and servers. And I do not know the difference between those two things. 
<laughs> so I wasn't like living my highest truth, you know, so I just like needed a big change. And I had a friend who was a recruiter for schools in Australia, New Zealand. And she was like, well, why don't you just apply and see what happens? So I applied to uh, University of Sydney and to La Trobe. And I got into La Trobe and I just thought, let's, let's do it. Wow. I thought the answer was going to be because grad school in America costs a fortune and it's probably cheaper in Australia, but I guess we've discovered it's maybe not cheaper. Well, also uh, there was a very, very poor timing with the exchange rate, which was not in my favor. Mm. So yeah, it's definitely flipped the other way now where I think it would be in your favor. Wow. But that's okay. We're here now. (laughs) Go back. Yeah. Come back. (laughs) And was it a difficult process to apply for grad school in a foreign country, like visas and accommodation? And like, do you remember that? That just took a while to figure out because I didn't know anyone there at all. My sister had gone to school with someone who lived, oh, oh, I don't remember that. I don't even remember now, like in a, in a neighborhood far North in, in Melbourne, some, somewhere far away. Uh, so I, 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 she let me stay with her for the first two weeks and then I found an apartment on Gumtree. It was not a match. And then I found another apartment on Gumtree that was, was, uh, very affordable <laughs> and good enough. So, I mean, that it's just like the realities of, of moving anywhere except you're extra far away. And you'd never been to Australia before that. No. Uh-uh. And you packed up and moved for two years. Yeah. Wow. Full on. <laughs> Full on. What were some of the biggest culture shocks for you? Because, I mean, we both speak English, but. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, wow. You're really, like, jarring my memory here. But that's a good thing. You know, I think just, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I think you have such a good sense of humor that, like, I think you your personality is to just be quite lighthearted and friendly. So you were probably very open to new experiences and new people. <laughs> and so like thank you for like filling in my memory lapse no there. that's no, but i'm yeah, just thinking mean, back to you and like you would laugh yeah. at stuff so like if you heard a funny australian expression it wouldn't like stop you in your tracks you'd just sort of be like huh, that's funny and keep going <laughs> i don't so i don't know if the culture shock like stopped you from being involved in australian life oh i think it did at first and i don't honestly remember this i think it was just like i lived in an apartment with this weird lady and i had a job just just like understanding what's normal and what's not so i had a waitressing job at an italian restaurant called crooners and they were paying me 14 dollars an hour and i worked my ass off and they would steal our tips but i was just like no 14 dollars an hour that's pretty good (laughs) like i didn't know that they were abusing me as a immigrant <laughs> or that's not the right word, but you know what I mean? So um, just like going, like painfully learning that I can do better, <laughs> you know? Yeah. At uni, you always had like a great personality and great, you know, um, sense of humor about you. I remember the first time I, I remember the first time I saw you. <laughs> Aww. Oh, no, but I had lived in, uh, in Canada and I had always right. wanted to go back and work overseas. And as soon as I heard your American accent, I was like, this is someone I need to be friends with. <laughs> and then I met you and was like, oh, you, you are hilarious. So, mm-hmm. yeah. That, well, that, I mean, you all certainly made it easier because you I mean just you guys like giving me lifts to school and like studying with me and and, like just including me in your I mean that was the great part about being there is that I lived there I wasn't visiting there I lived there and you really like included me in such a special way so that made it 
yeah, that made it all easy to be there. Yeah. And so do you remember um, what kind of clinical placements you had when we were at uni? I know mm-hmm. it was a long time ago. You do? Yeah. I worked at the Epworth and I worked at Scope. And where else? There was one other place that I don't remember now. Oh, I think it might have just been the stuttering clinic at Latrobe. Mm-hmm. So you had an inpatient acute at the Epworth. Is that what that was? Mm-hmm. And Scope is a disability service pediatrics. Yep. Is that right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And then the stuttering clinic at the university. Yeah. And what surprised you about the field of speech pathology when you were studying? Because I didn't know swallowing was part of it. That was a surprise to me. Yeah. And I think that I wonder if that will change someday because they are so incredibly different, the medical and the more education side. Like they they are night and day. And in a way, it doesn't make sense. (laughs) You know, because you really have to relearn. We have to learn a whole new skill set if you go from pediatric later in your career to adults or vice versa, you know, I think it just took me and I don't know, I have nothing to compare it to. I don't know if this has to do with our coursework or it was just me, but boy, my placements were really hard. I did not feel competent at all. Really? Right. In what way? I think just confidence and even like documentation was huge. Like understanding even like what we're doing (laughs) and how to document it, you know, that, that was very confusing to me in the beginning. Mm. And what were your supervisors like? The Epworth lady was pretty intense. <laughs> uh, this uh, They were very supportive at scope, but not, nobody I would like keep in touch with or, you know, it was kind of, I was grateful to be done. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is like really just jumping into the workplace, right? Even though you might be like novice level, early placements, but you are jumping in and from their end, even though they know that you're at whatever level you're at, they probably also still have expectations of you slash they've got their own workload. I don't know. Have you supervised students in any of your... I have not. And I'm kind of hesitant to do it. It sounds hard. (laughs) Well, I think it depends on what your work situation is because when I was working at the school in New York, it was like I still had my regular stuff to do and I was supervising a student. So over time, they make your role easier because they can take on more work. Um, but it is like an extra thing. And if you're already feeling emotionally burnt out and overloaded, that extra thing can is really hard. Yeah. Be really hard yeah. versus I've recently been doing some clinical supervision at Latrobe. And it's just I go in for a day a week and I'm there to supervise. And it's a, it's different because you're going in for that reason. It's not something that's on top of your already high workload. <laughs> Gotcha. Cool. Yeah. So I wonder if those external placements, sometimes we were catching the stresses of supervisors because we were actually giving them more work to do. Sure. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. And when somebody doesn't catch on to something quickly, that's really frustrating, you know, especially when you do have different expectations. And I was very, you know, when you know you're doing poorly, I don't know, my kind of instinct in that time of my life was to sort of like freeze up and that's not what they want you to do. You know, Mm. (laughs) I'm sure that was really frustrating. And it, but it, sadly, I left those experiences with pretty poor confidence in myself as a therapist. And, you know, that's part of the reason I came back to the States because I was like, well, I suck at this. I feel like I couldn't get a job here because there aren't many jobs and I don't have good references. And it took me a while to like build my confidence up. Mm. And so you went back to the US after graduation. So you didn't work in Australia for your first right. speech pathology job. What was that mm-hmm. process like transferring your coursework back to the US? 
Mm-hmm. It was an absolute nightmare. <laughs> so um, <laughs> just getting ASHA certified and hopefully they've made things a little easier on people now. I don't know. So it, it, to anyone listening. So there is something that used to exist. You know, if this still does the mutual recognition. Yes, agreement. that's how I got my okay. ASHA. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you work in basically another English speaking country as a speech pathologist, after two years, you are recognized by that country or is it just an ASHA? It's so one year. So you need to be working. Oh. Yes. One year in the country that you were trained in. If you have one year of work in that country, then you can apply for mutual recognition. But then for the US, for example, each state has its own licensing requirements. So I could get my ASHA after one year of working in Australia, but I couldn't get oh. my New York state license until I had three years of work experience under my belt. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So- Ugh. State to state, it's quite different. But so you weren't able to apply under mutual recognition because you hadn't worked for a year in Australia. Right, right. So I had to have my, um, what was it called? Like my transcripts um, interpreted basically. Inqui- like equivalencies? Yeah, basically, yeah. Um, and they found that I was missing a science course after all of that. So I could either take physics chemistry this is undergraduate coursework mind you or astronomy so guess which one I took (laughs) astronomy of course and so I just like signed up for this thousand dollar course at the community college and took astronomy online you could google all the answers to the test because the the professor obviously did not care and I (laughs) submitted that I had completed that to ASHA and then they, they just as I submitted it they were changing the policy where astronomy was no longer going to be accepted because they were like wait a second this is not related at all but oh thank god they didn't make me take physics or chemistry I wouldn't be here sitting here today (laughs) well it's just so crazy that you and I did the exact same course and then I worked for one year and the exact course that you did I got my ASHA but I didn't have to do physics and chemistry courses I know it's just silliness it is silly but whatever thankfully I got it all figured out but at the time that's incredibly stressful like you just you know, threw your entire life into this direction. And then you are like, well, am I going to be, I mean, I was working as a cashier at a grocery store as this, when I was like trying, after I came back, when I'm trying to get Asha to work and get a job, it was very humbling. Wow. And how long did it take to get all that stuff sorted out? I don't remember. Thank God. I don't remember now. I feel like it took like eight months. At the time it probably felt, I mean, like just so all consuming Absolutely. Yeah. It was a nice. It's kind of nice that now you can't remember. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. So you yes. got all that sorted out finally. And then um, in the US, do you, I know in New York and California, you need licensing in the state. What about Colorado? Did you need a state license? I do need a state license, but it was a very, that's a very easy process. Colorado is very business friendly. Guess how much it costs to start your own business in Colorado? $5. 10 Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> but like, that's remarkable. So I live in a very good state for like, I honestly, I started my own business. I haven't done anything yet with it. <laughs> but oh. It's like, I just like wanted to reserve the name. What's the name? Uh, Front range myofunctional therapy. Ooh. Very Googleable. What's front range? Is that a place? That is the, so in Colorado, we have the Rocky mountains and uh, they really, there's like, it's very dramatic. It's like plains, flats, half the state, and then poof, mountains. And the, that is called the front range. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like the spine going down the middle of the state. I live on the front range as do most people here. So front range, myo, 
what is it? Myofunctional therapy. I always I get it mixed up. Oral, oral myofunctional therapy. <laughs> you should know this. It's your business. Yeah, it doesn't roll off the tongue, but that's probably what people would be Googling. Yeah. I feel like we should talk about myofunctional therapy later because that's an area that I'm gaining interest in and I think it's booming a bit in Australia. Absolutely. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, okay. So you got your Colorado license, easy peasy. And then what was your first job? Speech pathology job. Uh, It was a, a home health agency, pediatric home health. And what did you do? You went to people's homes? I went to people's homes and I, you know, it was very, uh, it was good for me in that. I mean, to me, home health is hard. I, and that's a really hard first job because you're out there at this kid's house. Like, am I, am I, am I like making this up? Like, do I, is anybody going to check on me? Like, you know, it just seems uh, kind of wild. But um, so a lot of the kids I had in that first job, were Spanish speaking. So I would have an interpreter come with me who had done this for years and had with speech therapists. So she kind of, she never like said anything to me directly. We never really acknowledged it, but she really helped me through by just like modeling for me in those moments when I was kind of floundering. So that in, in that regard, it was really a good job. Yeah. I mean, that's a great learning opportunity, right? To have someone yeah. modeling because that seems to be a theme as well. And people from our cohort, a lot of first jobs, people were, because there were no, no jobs at the time, people went out regionally, they were out okay. in health services or schools, but they were really out on their own. And a lot yeah. of people felt that way of like, uh, am I doing this right? right. Is anyone going to check on me? <laughs> but also like, do you have support when you need it? Yeah. Do you feel so you did? So we have to do, um, yeah, I'm like, yeah, I do. We have to do a CFY, meaning it's what is it, like nine months of supervision before we can get our Cs, like be truly certified. And you guys don't have anything like that, No. So the CFY is the clinical fellowship year. And you, yeah, so that's like your, it's like your training wheels. And then you get the training wheels taken off and then you you achieve your ASHA Certificate of Clinical Competence, triple C or Cs. In Australia, our first year out, um, I think we're just like, I don't know if it's got a name, provisional member or something, but I think after the first year you become CPSP, Certified Practicing Speech Pathologist. Okay. Um, but we don't do a, a CFY and I didn't have to do one for the US, thank goodness. Okay. But so then the, what's your supervision? What kind of supervision are you getting? Well, I think we're supposed to get regular and frequent supervision. I don't remember having supervision supervision in my first job. I'm sure I did, but I don't know if it was called that. Wow. Hmm. I don't know. Okay. I don't remember it. But I had, to, I, you know, would start the day in the office, end the day in the office, surrounded by speech pathologists, psychs cool. and social workers. So there was a lot of checking in. Yeah. And the school in New York, we called it a check-in with our department head. So that was Aww. our supervision. She was amazing. And then my private practice job when I got back, that was that was called supervision. So you were working in the home health. And then where did you go? Um, I then worked in the public school system for several years. And when I moved to Pueblo, um, I – gosh, I don't remember that. Oh, okay. I worked for a, uh, like a private clinic. Um, and again, you know, again, like kind of small town rural health. I was their only speech therapist and they took every kind of patient. So every kind of patient. Like I had this like pilot who came to me for voice treatment. I was like, 
<laughs> okay. And I, you're like, you seem broker broker. Uh, this flight is departing. <laughs> I don't know. I would yeah. have no idea what to do. <laughs> um, yeah, I just kind of like read up on it. And then the day of <laughs> would just present it like, and this is what you do. <laughs> he seems satisfied with the treatment. So that's good. But so, okay. Just like working with those adults, I was like, well, maybe I should, I kind of got the wheels turning. And then someone at the hospital, the speech therapist at the hospital I work now, um, wanted a PRN. Do you guys have that? No. You- okay. Um, public like registered a- nurse or something. Is that what it's called? No. I forget what it stands for, but, um, it- it's basically like, uh, someone it's like a guest star <laughs> like okay. a PRN like works on the weekends or like covers holiday shifts or, they do special appearances not, yeah you're not like a regular on the schedule but you, that you can call that person in so Marla a casual Wendelon, we'd call them oh, okay so she took all the time to train me which was I mean I owe Marla so much that was so I've never had anybody go out of their way for me like that professionally and like just really mentor me and give me her job pretty soon too, because I forget why she left. But, um, so that's like how I know how to do any of this stuff at the hospital. Wow. And I can still use her as a contact too, but, um, and she is, uh, you know, she's been in the profession a long time, so she knows her stuff. And she's one of those speech therapists that like, she doesn't like read for fun. She reads journals and articles and always was up on, you know, she's so intense. And I just sort of like glom onto her intensity whenever I need to know something. (laughs) Do you read articles? No, not really. No, I don't. Yeah. I do a lot of PD. Good. Well, that's, yeah. Articles, I always found articles very uh, unsatisfying, Mm. you know, like no conclusions are reached usually. It's very dry, hard to read. And like the conclusions are so like a more studies are needed. Right. I know. I was, that was not very helpful mm. often. So yeah, there's some great PDs out there. Actually, sorry to bring it back up, but like the, the best PD I've ever done in my life was the oral functional. No, how do you say it? Oral facial myofunctional therapy. They got to f- come up with a better name. Yeah, it's for this. too hard. <laughs> um, but that, that is an exceptional PD that I did. It's through the Academy of Oral Facial Myofunctional whatever therapy yeah (laughs) so okay Um, and was it multi-day intense like how did it it was eight weeks online but they figured through covid you know everybody figured out how to do things online in a a much much better way so um yeah it was just very thorough and it was just engaging so many pds are not so Mm. was it live or were they um on demand so it was live both um, so like a weekly live and then everything else you kind of was self-paced. And the ones in Australia, I know they go for like a four day weekend or something and they're quite expensive. Like I'm thinking like two and a half thousand Australian dollars, which sounds, I mean, you break it down per day. Yeah. But yeah. Was it expensive? The one in the US? It was expensive. Um, I, I got the hospital to pay for it. Good on you. No, well, it's relevant to your role. <laughs> it is. It's not. Okay. It is. My boss is a nurse and he doesn't know anything about therapy. So, so yeah, it's relative to my role. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Yeah. I did a, a, a two hour PD or two, three hour PD with someone who is trained in it um, just to get sort of like an intro basics around um, oral control and tongue control. Yes. Cause I've been getting a lot of lateral lisps lately. Huh. And it's really changed how I'm looking at kids now in terms, you know, you get some kids where you're like, all right, they got a lateral lisp, but the t- 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 
isn't working for them. Like what is going on? And then you, you know, a lot of the time it's on zoom, but you ask them to eat something and then you go, Whoa, (laughs) there's some funny stuff going on with their tongue and their jaw. And, but I don't know the next step. And that's why I think doing that course would be really good because you're our tick kids. It's definitely part of that. Right. Would you say? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. So a big thing really changed how I thought about Arctic in that me personally, I've always said my S with like putting my, the tip of my tongue on my bottom teeth. So like not a list, but that's not how we're Apparently it's it. 50%. Half people do it. Really? That, yeah. And I'd forgotten about that until I had a client last year and she just wasn't getting like the tongue goes up, tongue goes up. And then I said to her mom, Hey mom, how do you do it? And her mom's like, I put my tongue down. And I was like, Oh, that's right. Half the people do it. So I said to the kid, put your tongue down. And then she got it. Oh, cool. Okay. Oh, that's good to hear. I don't, I didn't know that part, but, um, anyway, I realize now a big part of that, or like when you do have those, like, um, What's that called? Interdental list? Mm-hmm. Is that what the th- yeah. or the th- uh, which one? The th- or the interdental. Yeah, yeah. interdental. Mm-hmm. The it's like the tongue's not too big, the mouth is too small. Oh. They don't have room, and that's why the tongue's coming out. There's not space for it. How do you make space? There are exercises you can do to elevate the tongue. Its resting position should be on the roof of your mouth. And this affects sleep as well, because it should be on the roof of your mouth when you go to sleep. So it is out of your throat. If it's not on the roof of your mouth, it is in your throat and air needs to go through your throat. (laughs) You know, I mean, that sounds dumb, but like, that's why people snore. That's like a huge cause of sleep apnea. And there are studies out there that kids with ADHD and sleep deprivation have the exact same presentation. Wow. See, I always just think that it's like, oh, well, there must be tonsils or adenoids in the way. And that's why the tongue is forward. But it also could just be that the mouth is too small. The tongue is too big. The tongue is not strong enough to be in its place. The teeth are crowding in because the tongue is not pushing them out. Hmm. Yeah, wild. Totally forms. And it made me feel like, God, how, how, how did I not know this? You know, it seems so, we don't learn that type of we learn anatomy for like swallowing, mm-hmm. but not for, or we didn't anyway, maybe it's changed now, but. I, I feel like in a two-year master's course, it felt like we learned so much, but yeah. what you learn after you graduate is that that was just the tip of the iceberg. And there is so much more to learn, especially when it comes to just like behavior management, counseling, like these are things that just become part of your job, um, but they don't teach you that. You need to keep learning, gestalt language learning. That's something I've been learning about the last year and a bit. I just heard that phrase for the first time recently. Yes. And it makes sense. I think about clients I had in the past where I'm like, oh, I don't know. Maybe I did you a disservice because I didn't know about it then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, we're always learning in the profession. That's something that's great. But it can feel sometimes like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. But you just do your best and you're not doing anyone a harm. <laughs> yeah, you work within your comfort zone and you work to keep broadening that comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah. When I worked in the US, I could at least blame not knowing something on being Australian. And then when I came back, I was like, I'll just blame it on like, oh, I was working in the US for six years. Like, <laughs> well, okay. I like that excuse. We'll get to a point where I will have no excuse anymore, but I'll have to move countries again. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so that was a really pivotal PD for you. You loved it. 
Yes, it was excellent. What would you say your proudest achievement has been to this point, speech pathology wise or otherwise in life? I guess like speech pathology wise, I would say my proudest, it's not one thing, but it's just like those moments where it's like, I don't, I'm just going to try this. I mean, I, this could suck, but I'm not comfortable with this. I'm just going to do it and see how it goes, you know, just taking risks, I guess. And that is another thing that drew me to this profession in the first place is that you're not stuck anywhere. If you're stuck, that's on you. Like there are always things to learn. Like we've said repeatedly, there's all these populations, all these specialties. You can probably make up your own specialty, you know, (laughs) seriously. Like I, one of the girls I was working with is getting her PhD, barf, um, in speech pathology. Can you imagine? Maybe you can. I no, no. I my hex debt. I've got it to that point where it's under thirty, under forty thousand. I I don't want to bring it back up again. Also, I'm dumb now. Like I can't. I wouldn't make it through. I would be uh, interested anyway. in studying something like OT or psych. Oh, cool. I don't want to study again, but it would be to more like sh- like edge into another allied health profession to expand because you know sometimes you're like well I think this is related to their regulation or oh something about Mm -hmm. cognitive skills and then you got to hand it over and it's fine when there is someone available to hand it to but right right um so anyway okay so this girl doing her PhD I think it's like she's her big thesis or whatever is on oral care but there's another speechy in her cohort doing something on speech therapy and the didgeridoo that's why I'm saying you can do fucking anything you want to. Yes. Yes. Because it does. And I learned this in the orofacial blah, blah, blah class. It does very much tone your oropharynx. It is very good for strengthening these muscles. Yeah. So really you can like, you could do speech pathology and, you know, canoes, <laughs> whatever. I don't, I don't know. You said anything that because it rhymes with didgeridoo. <laughs> Uh, I actually, I was looking in the mirror. I see a washer. I'm like, don't say washing machine. That's stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What about outside of speech pathology? Oh yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I am a single mother by choice. Yeah. Really hard. I mean, it's no joke, but I'm really proud of myself for like making that decision and just doing it and having an amazing son and, um, just like making this new life for myself. Is that something that you'd thought about for a while? It had been on my radar, um, mostly because I have a cousin that did this and I feel like she kind of paved the way. I don't know if I would have had the courage to do it without like her example. I come from a very conservative family and I just don't know if I would have had the balls to do it. (laughs) And so So, the fact that you knew someone who'd done it and she talked, I'm guessing she talked openly about it to you, that really helped you to sort of see the possibilities and make some plans. Yeah. 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 And just, you know, like any like huge thing you're contemplating, just sort of like slowly, you know, open your heart to the idea and get more information and sit with it. Mm. Well, you inspired me to freeze my eggs. So. Oh, well, congratulations. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. It's something that I spoke to someone else from our cohort and she had also frozen her eggs in the last couple of years. And I think it's something that I'm really excited for us to talk about on the podcast because. Cool. It is a very like achievement oriented profession full of like type A personalities. And it's like, you graduate, you get a job, you work, work, work. And Mm. I imagine that there would be others in our profession who have also sort of focused so much on career for the first chunk of time, caring for others, caring for other people's children. Right. And now going, all right, I think I'm ready. 
oh, <laughs> maybe it's not as easy. Right. Yeah, I that's totally true. And I it was it kind of got hard working with kids for a little bit there just being like I don't want to work with other people uh, people's kids I want to go home to my own kid you know you do start feeling that way as well I, or I did anyway so did you ever get the feeling or the do you ever have or did you ever have the worries about having a child with speech and language learning difficulties because that's you know in the back of my mind girl girl you we've worked with some difficult kids. And so absolutely. And you have to make, I don't know. Okay. So I, um, bought sperm off the internet. They FedExed it and in she went, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I said she, when I'm talking about sperm and also it produced a boy, but in she went. Um, so, you know, I don't, I, this, this person who I chose, I, I felt so intuitively drawn to, but I have three pictures of him as a child and I have a couple essays he wrote and like his medical history, you know, everything else, this is such a gamble. It's such like you are jumping off a cliff and you're like, whatever comes out, I will love. Cause they you know going back now, there's so many unknowns. Um, and I, okay. <laughs> I, I might cry on your podcast, but I, I, I mean this sincerely. Like Avi isn't like a dream. That's my son. He's not like a dream come true because I didn't even have the imagination to dream that big. Like he is so exceptional. He is just like a wonderful person. And I'm so glad I like, he chose me is how I feel, you know? Oh, he's just so great. (laughs) So, I mean, it all worked out. Sorry. And that, that sounds insensitive, you know? I mean, of course I would have loved him regardless, but he's so easy to love. It makes it, (laughs) um, you know, easy to be his mom. He's exceeded all of your expectations because you didn't expect that it could be this great. Exactly, yes. Yeah. And, I mean, I feel overwhelmed with the dating apps sometimes, like you know, reading profiles and swiping. Like I can't imagine something so big as making a decision about who is going to be the other part of the DNA of your child. Right. Um, yeah. That, yeah. Would that, did that take a while to figure that it out? It didn't. No? <laughs> and, you know, because I talked to my cousin too about it. You can You can get so serious, of course, about it and analytical. And her approach was, I just want to find a guy that would make cute babies. <laughs> so that kind of like lightened it up for me a little bit. And then I, I tell like he, this guy I found, he was one of like the, I think I found him the first time I looked and I, I, I sent him to my therapist at the time. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this guy. And she's like, this is a very big decision. You need to take your time and think. And so like, I did look for more guys. I'm like, I hate all these people. I, I know who I want. Mm. And so, I mean, I think, yeah, just going in it with your, like, let your ovary take the wheel. (laughs) (laughs) You know, really like there is an intuitiveness to the whole process and you, I, like, I felt called to motherhood. And so like, I kind of let that whole, it really was like propelling me forward. Mm. Yeah, there was a book that you sent me when I was in New York and you had read this book and you sent it to me. And I, you know, I started it and it, at the time it, it it wasn't the right time for me to read it. Um, and then I went back to it last year and I actually did a short course with a um, life coach, relationship coach. She's now my business coach. Uh, cool. And it was this book that you sent me, Calling in the One. And when I read it, last year as opposed to the first time when you'd sent it to me it hit totally differently because I was in a different place in my life um and I I see what you mean about like you feel that you're propelling and moving forward towards this life and Mm -hmm. it's just letting things happen but also like going riding the wave yeah right right yes and that was a big part of the process too is because 
Um, so the first two times I tried, so like my first two cycles, it didn't work. And I was very surprised uh, and really disheartened and sad. And I really think I needed to get to that point too, to be like, if this doesn't happen, I'm going to be okay. Mm. Like I'm still worthy of love. I'm self-love of a great life. I don't need this to prove anything, you know, like it helped me like surrender the outcome even more than if it would have just happened, you know, and I got what I wanted. Mm. <laughs> Cause you know, there is a lot of ego in impropriate too, you know, like regardless of how you do it. I mean, we're all on Facebook. We know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when we're younger, we're told like, don't even look at someone, you'll get pregnant. Like, especially women are, are taught to like be super careful and to not get pregnant because it could ruin your life when you're young, you know, take your time, build your yeah. career. And then when we follow that advice and then decide it's time to try having a child actually a lot of people discover it's not so easy right um I didn't know that you're born with all the eggs you ever have they didn't teach us that at school (laughs) right right. had I known that maybe I I mean I wouldn't have been able to afford to freeze my eggs earlier than I did it but did you get some good eggs um I did two rounds oh wow yeah so the first round um you know all of the talk that was happening but you know from the um what do they call it? The ultrasound person to the doctor, like it, all the numbers were sounding really good. And I'd never been under anesthetic before. So I was nervous about that, but that was all, you know, that is what it is. <laughs> I was very sick from the anesthetic, but my doctor had said before I went in, like whatever number we get, it's usually like two less than that, that we can freeze. Okay. So I'm thinking, okay. So the first round I, you know, come out of the operating room and they wake me up and I've I'm starting to feel like absolute shit, but they gave me a bit of paper with a number on it with a big smiley face. And I was like, okay, great. Two less than that. I mean, I'm happy to talk numbers, but some people don't like it, but I'm just going to say my numbers because I think that helps. Okay. So they retrieved 14 eggs and I was like, great, that's like 12. I just want to double digits. Um, And then later that day, I got a call from the embryologist saying it's been a disappointing result. And I was like, yep, hold on. I'm just in the middle of vomiting from the anesthetic. <laughs> so they could only freeze five. Okay. And I that I was fine up until that point. That tipped me over the edge emotion-wise. And, and then you start to think like, is there something wrong with me? Did I do something wrong? Aww. No, I injected myself for two weeks straight. I did all the things I was supposed to do. <laughs> um, so anyway, I would say to people thinking about doing it is to take the counseling. You have to do counseling before the egg freeze, but Mm -hmm. to take them up on the offer of post freeze counseling as well. Um, Because I was able to sort of say a lot of the feelings, but also make a plan for the following time. And I realized I needed the communication given to me in a different way the next time. I didn't need people telling me these numbers are great. These numbers are great because that set my expectations you know, I just needed people to say like, things look fine. Be neutral. Be neutral. Right. Yeah. Right. And I don't need to be told how many eggs you retrieved. I only need to know how many you put on ice because what difference does it make? Yeah. So did you instruct them to do that? I did. And they made a note of it. And I like, was, I kept, but I kept telling them that too. The second time around, I was like, I don't want to know the number. When they yeah, called yeah. me on the day, I said, I don't want to know how many, just tell me how many you froze. I had to keep advocating for myself. Wow. Because you're right, like we're doing it alone and you don't have someone else there to, you know. Right. 
advocate for you or with you. So you do have to do it for yourself. And the second time round, we froze 10. So I've got 15 on ice. Oh, wow. Cool. So I'm happy with that. Yeah. And you, are, they're just locked away yep. for a later date or you feel like opening up the little chest soon? And- well, uh, after the first round, I had the counseling session and I talked to the nurse and was like, I haven't even thought about what happens next. Like my, I was so focused on just get through the freezing part. Mm-hmm. I didn't even open the door of what do I do with them? <laughs> mm-hmm. So then she talked to me about the process of getting sperm in Australia, which is quite different to the US. Okay. Uh, not as easy to get. Huh. Yeah, so I hadn't really thought about that. There's a lot, I'm sure, that you can attest to that goes into choosing to do that on your own. Oh, it's unreal. I mean, it is, I'm very blessed. As I said, like, again, I live in a small town. It's so much more affordable to, everything's more affordable. Like, I could buy a house. I have a nanny that comes to my house and watches my son. She cleans my house. Like, she's just the most incredible support. I can't imagine doing this without her. Like my parents live close. I have stable work. Like I have so many things in place and this is still hard as shit. <laughs> it's so hard. I mean, I'm just, it's, it's really challenging and it takes everything from me. I feel like, you know, and it's, it's day by day. <laughs> and of course I'm going to be okay. Like I am doing it. He's thriving. We're fine, but it's no joke. It's not to be entered lightly, you know? Yeah. And did you go into it um, thinking about how you would address it with him in the future? Um, yes. And I have uh, one of his donors pictures up in our house and, you know, we'll call him like the donor. It's not his dad, you know, but that becomes less scary as like Avi is a reality because, you know, now we have a relationship and it doesn't feel like "Mm, that is scary. Mm -hmm. You know, it'll be okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I just hope like, like, so, okay. Another like hard part of this was I had one sample left of this guy's sperm uh, after I had Avi and I decided to dispose of it. And this guy's no longer available either. So Avi is one and done, which is what's very, very hard for me, but kind of like that deliberating about what, what to do. Like, I don't want him to be an only child. Is it fair? Blah, blah, blah. It was like keeping me from just enjoying him. Mm. Um, but at, at, at this point I feel like he's enough for me and I hope that he, it's mutual, you know, that's oh, all I can do. You have gone into this, creating this life for yourself that brought him into it, that you have made this world for available for him. Thank you for sharing about that. Oh yeah, of course. No, I love talking about him and it's not, it, you know, I think at it, very many points in this journey, it's like, this is weird. I'm weird. He's going to be weird. And it's like, uh, it'd be way weirder to have a baby with your alcoholic ex-boyfriend. That would be weird. So, and you know, okay, sorry. One more little soapboxy thing. Get on say. it, Beth. Get on it. <laughs> you know, like, I guess there was so many things like, I'm not as good as, or like, I'm not, enough, you know, like comparing myself to women who have a partner or whatever it's like I am more than I am mom dad and everybody in between yep yep. (laughs) you know like I am certainly uh more capable than I really want to be yeah (laughs) sometimes but yeah anyway well last week I I was talking to my hairdresser and you know she she every time I go there she asks about babies because she knows I froze my eggs and um she'd said like she sort of implied that I was a few years behind the eight ball because I'd chosen to go live overseas. 
like, oh, well, you know, you were away for a while. So like, you know, you kind of have to make up, not make up for lost time, but along those lines of you're behind because you went away. There's so much judgment in this world. It's sad. You know, she's got scissors close to my head, so I was careful what I said. But I would not change anything in my journey to this point for Mm. anything. Like all of the things have been what they're meant to be. Right. You know when you go into something and you're not sure how it's going to work out and then it does and you can't imagine life any other way? Yeah. That was Parkside for me, like going to New York, no idea where I was going to work or live, and then just landed in this job that is home and it's like my whole heart and everything and – how how could my life not have had that in it? And I would do that again a thousand times. Right. And that makes who you are and who you are is who your kid's going to be. Like that's the, you know, that's so important to experience your life. Yeah. I'm a more empathetic person because of that Absolutely. experience. I'm more and open, brave. brave and open-minded, more sure. progressive. That's the New Yorker in yeah, me now. Uh, And I think these are all qualities that you bring to your future family. So, yeah, it was just one of those moments where I thought, eh, you don't get it. And that's fine. Right. And that is fine. You're right. I think the more that people in our profession or otherwise talk about these experiences like yours, like mine, like others, then it actually it inspires and motivates other people. But it also makes people feel connected and seen. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Yeah, you're right about that. Like I said, like I probably wouldn't have done this if my cousin had it. So hopefully if someone out there wants to do it and they see me doing it, that is the, you know, push they need or whatever. It's very inspiring, the strength that you have to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank yeah, you. I look up to you, Bethy. Aw, <laughs> thanks, Miss Erin. That's right. Uh, <laughs> is there anything else about the speech pathology profession or life, uh, you know, any other advice maybe that you might have for people currently working, thinking about studying or who are studying now? I guess just, uh, well, studying is a whole different thing. Just find good study buddies. As far as like professionally, just take risks. Just try. I mean, you're not going to you're not going to mess up. <laughs> yeah. What's the worst could happen? And OT I used to work with was like, we're not doctors. It's true. Don't take yourself that seriously. And she said it more in the context of like, our, we don't do emergency work, so you shouldn't be tied to your email outside of work hours. But I think the same is true for risks. Like what's the worst that could happen? Like you might make some gains with your client. <laughs> yeah, true. Good point. Mm. Yeah. And anyone who's thinking, who is, you know, in the US and thinking about studying in Australia, mm. any advice for them? I guess go now. Sounds like money is right. <laughs> um, oh, I would say absolutely go for it. I mean, there, there again, like what an incredible experience. It was so transformative for me. Yeah, it really changed my life in a big way. So do it. Do it. Yes. <laughs> And go to Melbourne, I think. I mean, I really, we went to Sydney for one day. Oh, that's literally. right. We you flew I mean? up for a day. That's the only time I've been there, but I just thought Melbourne was so, so wonderful. So it's a great city. Yeah. Yeah. You have to come back and visit. Oh, I would love to. I would love to. Bring Avi while you can take him for free. You know, kids under, is it kids under two? Fly free? Yeah, that's true. But if you can handle having a toddler on your lap for 15 hours. (laughs) I don't know what like the legal dosage of children's Tylenol is. One way to find out. Oh, Beth, thank you so much for your time. And um, I'm excited to see you in person, hopefully stateside or Aussie side soon. Yes. Wonderful. Thank you, Erin. Thank you, Beth. 
I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Like, subscribe, follow, and make sure you have notifications turned on wherever you listen to podcasts so that you have access to episodes as soon as they drop. Catch you soon.